I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with the pick of our week. I'm Anne McElvoy, senior editor. And in this podcast... A turtle lands in Tokyo, the death of a much-loved villain, and how much friendship really does encourage romance. But first, Jailhouse Nation was our cover line, with some suggestions on how to improve America's penal system. With less than 5% of the world's population, the United States holds roughly a quarter of its prisoners, more than 2.3 million people, including 1.6 million in state and federal prisons and over 700,000 in local jails and immigration pens. Surely there must be a reason for locking up so many people. Advocates of tough justice point out that America's crime rate has fallen as the incarceration rate has risen. Criminals who are locked up cannot mug law-abiding citizens and the prospect of going to prison must surely deter some from breaking the law in the first place. But our leader suggested that incarceration isn't the only answer. A recent study by the Brennan Centre for Justice, a think tank, concluded that at most only 12% of the reduction in America's property crime rates since the 1990s can be attributed to higher rates of imprisonment and that there might be no effect at all. States with larger prison populations have no less crime than states with smaller ones. America needs justice, but perhaps not by putting so many people behind bars. The aim of penal policy should be harm reduction, not revenge. Tighter gun laws might help, because guns can turn drunken quarrels into murders. Alas, that is politically improbable for now. There is no single fix for America's prisons, but there are 2.3 million reasons to try. From the prison yards of America to the sporting fields of Japan, our Asia section this week noted how the country is preparing for the Olympic Games in 2020 with a new shell-capped stadium. But that's causing some controversy. A local architect likened the design by the Iraqi-British architect Zaha Hadid to a giant turtle waiting for Japan to sink so that it can swim away. Not everyone's cup of tea, then, obviously. Protesters vow to block the start of construction next month, before the site, which encroaches on the outer gardens of the historic Meiji Shrine, is ruined and elderly local residents are evicted. The unrest isn't just about the turtle, though. Spiralling budgets and architectural vandalism are an Olympic staple. Much of old Tokyo was raised to make way for the 1964 Games, Still, the plans for the 2020 Games are a mess, says Toyo Ito, a contestant in the competition to design the stadium. Well, perhaps in the spirit of turtles, slow and steady goes the construction process. Despite no agreement on who will foot the bill, the Japan Sport Council, the government body overseeing the stadium, this week reportedly hired a contractor to build it. 
The council is worried that the project will not be finished in time for the Rugby World Cup, which Japan will host in 2019. Another long wait seemed to have paid off in Venezuela. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization thinks that food is so abundant there that it even awarded the country a diploma. But that isn't the case, as an article in our America section explained. In his speech to the FAO, Vice President Jorge Areasa cited the government's claim that 95% of Venezuelans eat three meals a day. But in a survey carried out last year by three leading universities, more than 11% said they ate just twice a day or less. Venezuelan children are at the sharp end of the shortages. Children are showing up in hospital emergency wards with severe malnutrition, and some are dying because of a lack of basic supplies. And when we dig deeper into the figures, the picture changes. The government's own figures, which show it reached the UN target for reducing malnutrition in children by 2008, indicate that by 2013, Venezuela was close to crossing the line again in the opposite direction. From not-so-productive Venezuela to the fertile filmmaking valleys of California, an article in our US section takes us to the movie capital of the world, which might be losing its shine. Generous tax incentives in about 30 other states and several countries mean studios now look elsewhere before filming. Indeed, other countries have started encroaching on the Golden State's territory in more ways than one. Last year, Australia even dared to host the filming of San Andreas, a movie about the impact of an earthquake on California itself. Californian companies are cutting costs to the disadvantage of their home state. After Leonardo DiCaprio pulled out of a biopic about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, executives at Sony said, according to leaked emails, that they would continue the project only if filming moved to Georgia. Well, he might have been tempted to give it a go in the Middle East, but an article in our business section highlighted how the Middle East can be an awkward place to do business. Emerging markets are supposed to produce enough opportunities to justify the headaches. In the Middle East, the headaches are often overpowering. But isn't that diamond-encrusted iPhone business doing quite well in the Gulf? The Middle East's growing and often wealthy population should make it a promising market for consumer businesses. However, the problems are mind-boggling and they are not the sort that an MBA course prepares you for. MBA courses are quite dynamic these days, but local sensitivities can beat those spreadsheets. A Westerner brought in to turn around a large organisation in Lebanon dismissed an underperforming manager, only to be told that, because the sacked man was a Sunni, he now had to find a Shia to sack. Certainly a wake-up call for Western managers in the Middle East. And a wake-up call is exactly what we all might need if people start to drift off without caffeine. As an article in our finance section explored, the ocean phenomenon El Nino could bring misfortune to the world's coffee supplies. In May, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, a branch of the American government, declared that it had begun to observe weak and moderate El Nino conditions, fluctuations in water temperatures in the Pacific that herald a period of unseasonable weather. Weak and moderate still sounds pretty damaging, but in fact the weather system offers a rather mixed bag of effects. Heavy rains this year could boost South American harvests, which could help keep prices down. But droughts in Southeast Asia would harm the crop there, and if El Nino causes the rainy season to last too long in South America, next year's harvest could suffer. 
so investors will be keeping a keen eye on the horizon. Over the next few months, in short, water temperatures in the Pacific will be keeping them as jumpy as espresso-drinking toddlers. What's a coffee between friends anyway? Just platonic? Perhaps not. Over in our science section, an article looked at how prior friendship can strengthen the bonds of romance. As both common sense and evolutionary theory suggest should happen, beautiful people attract beautiful partners. But not always. Occasionally, handsome men choose plain women, and vice versa. Why this should be vexes psychologists and biologists alike. Well, perhaps plain Jane and plain Joe have good personalities. A study by Lucy Hunt of the University of Texas at Austin and her colleagues, soon to be published in Psychological Science, suggests an answer. It depends on whether the couples in question were friends before they were lovers. As the article explained, you may be unconsciously searching for appealing qualities over a longer period. One explanation Ms Hunt proposes is that friendship gives potential mates time to assess subtler attributes, such as intelligence and dependability, as well as the more obvious signal of outward beauty. Given the huge commitment by both sexes involved in raising children, such a strategy of long-term assessment is likely to have evolution on its side. So it's all about the children, then? That does, though, raise questions. One is, why does love at first sight persist? Another is, if beauty is, in an evolutionary sense, tradable for good parenting skills, what does that have to say about the parenting skills of beautiful couples? Well, we all parent stylishly, that's for sure. One screen character you might not have asked to babysit was Christopher Lee, and in our obituary section, we recounted the life of the man who portrayed many a villain. Through his mother, the Contessa di Sarzano, he was related to the 19th century Nobilita Nera of Modena and Parma, as well as to the Borgias, who added to the flow in his veins an underlick of venom. Indeed, Christopher Lee's noble upbringing meant that authority ran through his veins, in turn bleeding into his on-screen roles. In The Man with the Golden Gun, 1974, as Francisco Scaramanga, he controlled a whole household of servants, chief among them the midget Knick-Knack, who was sent not only to spy, but to cook lunch, move interior walls and welcome James Bond to the secret island with a bottle of chill champagne. I could have shot you down when you landed, Scaramanga purred, but that would have been ridiculously easy. And that, for a villain of Lee's stature, would never do. He could command the stage with a few words from that venomous tongue. The original Dracula of 1958, which made his name and dominated his career, gave him only 13 lines to say. Yet even those were hardly necessary, as he slowly, relentlessly materialised out of the dark, his cloak swishing, his black eyes sparkling with joy, his red lips nuzzling the white, submissive, swooning neck, and his incisors just slightly showing, beginning to glisten. Noblesse oblige. A noble villain indeed. I'm Anne McElvoy. That was the pick of our week. In London, this is The Economist. <laughs>